Welcome to Adulting on the Spectrum. In this podcast, we want to highlight the real voices of autistic adults, not just inspirational stories, but people like us talking about their day-to-day life. Basically, we want to give a voice to a variety of autistic people. I'm Eileen Lam, an autistic author and photographer, and I co-host this podcast with Andrew Comro. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Eileen. I'm Andrew. I'm an autistic entrepreneur and founder of the Neurodiversity Index. And today, our guest is Ogi. Um, Ogi is an autistic mathematical neuroscientist and author. He writes books about the mind. He's the Rip Van Winkle of autism. He learned he was autistic in the 1990s, but turned his back on the clinical medical community so he could figure out how autism worked on his own. He started learning about the autism community again recently. Welcome, Ogi. And it is a genuine pleasure to be here. I love you guys. I love your podcast. I've seen most of the episodes and uh, very excited to talk to you today. I wanted to say, Andrew, because that's very rare that we have someone who actually has seen some of our episodes. (laughs) Most of our guests, they've never seen or listened to the show before they come on. So it's very special that you've uh, listened. and Your show means so much to me just hearing the, just like you said in your opening, hearing a variety of autistic people talk about their lives in ordinary conversation with you guys, it's wonderfully illuminating and informative and, and so helpful to me. And I just want to commend you guys. Uh, it, it's a valuable resource. And if you're not getting that kind of feedback, let me at least be one of the voices saying, well, I, I love what you do and it really matters. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> so, uh, as you know from listening, one of the first questions we like to ask is identity language, um, not just pronouns, but um, which you're more than welcome to share, but also just a sample of as far as person with autism, autistic on the spectrum, you don't care, all of the above. Sure. Uh, I do have a term. I call it the dark gift. And I hope you'll let me explain why, because it actually touches upon a number of issues that I know you guys talk in your shows. So first of all, in my own personal opinion, and and I'm just going to offer my own opinion on these things. I'm not a culture warrior. I'm not trying to change anybody else's minds. I know there's a variety of opinions. That's wonderful. If you believe something completely different than than I believe, that's fine. I'm I'm not here to fight with anyone. But in my opinion, the diagnostic criteria in the DSM for for the autism spectrum, you know, 299, it's a mess. You know, it's kind of like like Yugoslavia. It's all these Balkan countries kind of forced together. You got Serbia, you got Croatia, you got Montenegro. They're not really getting along. Usually they're kind of forced to be together. You know what the DSM criteria is actually like? Here's a good analogy. It's like lumping together COVID, tuberculosis, and lung cancer, calling them all respiratory diseases, and then saying, okay, how severe is this respiratory, respiratory disease on a scale of one to three? You know, instead of having the lung cancer patients go get chemo and the COVID patients get RNA treatments and the tuberculosis patients get antibiotics. So I feel terrible. I know there's a lot of parents like Eileen with, with Charlie um, that are severely autistic. I, I don't know if that's the right word to use when we're talking about the, this diagnosis that may not be accurate, but I, it hurts me to know that when I'm talking about my version of autism, which I call the dark gift, for, for one of these reasons, because I know there's other people out there that have much more difficult scenarios, but what's going on in their brains is clearly different than what's going on in my brain. You know, I, I've seen a lot of these autism movies recently 
uh, like Autism the Musical, which has a bunch of autistic kids trying to put on the musical. And some of them I can see have the same mental dynamics, the same neural dynamics that I have. But some of them have things going on that are clearly nothing to do what's happening in my brain. And yet we're all lumped together. So I, I feel terrible talking about autism with others when I know there's people that have much more uh, difficult and problematic you know, neural impairments than I do. Uh, so dark gift, one thing is to distinguish my own version of autism. And so I, what I think my autism consists of is three main things. There's the darkness. The darkness is the social deficits, social fails, the social problems, which are defining quality of all these uh, autism diagnoses. And I certainly have terrible social deficits. Um, but then there's also the gifts. I can assimilate large quantities of knowledge uh, very quickly. And I have incredible focus, you know, which is a lot of people with autism have that. Not all people with autism have those things. But I think neurally, these three things are related. I, I think they're all, these particular three things are functioning together. They're a constellation that are influencing one another in the brain. That's what's happening in me. So dark gift uh, distinguishes my version of autism from people with more severe versions of autism. It focuses specifically on these three things, which I think has a neural explanation. And also it's just reclaiming, taking ownership of my own condition. Uh, as I'm sure I'll be talking about, you know, I, I have a lot of cynicism about the clinical and medical uh, attitude towards autism and, and the approach towards it. And by calling what I have dark gift, it gives me some you know, sense of control over, over what I have. So do you want to take us uh, back in time? Uh, you were diagnosed uh, with autism uh, in your 20s, at 20 maybe. Uh, what made you want to be assessed for autism? Like, what was that journey like? Sure. So uh, I'll say my own autistic special interest is the neurodynamics of autism. So this is something I'm I'm been obsessed with since the 90s. But, but before that, I've had a lifelong special interest. Um, the interest it start, first formed in me when I was 10. I had a specific event when I was 10 years old that kind of established this. And then my whole life, I've been obsessed with this. My autistic special interest is the fundamental nature of reality. I, I really want to know why we're here, how reality works, how consciousness works. The big questions, I've been very, very, very autistically, obsessively interested in this my entire life. And early on, I realized that to understand how reality works, got to understand how the mind works because the mind is how we perceive reality. And so then I realized, got to figure out how consciousness works. And then I realized there's something wrong with my consciousness. My consciousness is different than other people's. There's something strange about me. I can see there's something different about the way I think and perceive and, 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 and I'm conscious of things than other people. And at first I didn't know what that was. So actually, uh, Eileen, I was living in France. I was living in the, the city of or more like a town of La Rochelle uh, on the Atlantic coast. And while I was living there, I, I was there working on screenplays at the time I wanted to, to, to make movies. And uh, it was there that I realized, oh my gosh, you know, I am my, there's something different about my brain. There's something wrong with my brain, but I didn't know what, it didn't even occur to me uh, that it could be autism. This was the early 90s, and even though autism was out there, I, don't, I, I just hadn't come across it, or I didn't connect the idea of autism with, with what I had. When I got to uh, Boston College, I was in a doctoral program in, in mind science at, at Boston College uh, in Boston. I, 
I've dropped out of five different colleges because <laughs> of my autism. Uh, and so I actually ended up dropping out of Boston College too. But while I was there, a good friend of mine was studying uh, theory of mind. And in the 90s, one of the uh, biggest focuses for, for autism researchers, they thought, you know, if you want to understand autism, you got to understand this theory of mind. And my friend was studying it. And through him, you know, he was studying it to help autism research. And that's when I first got exposed to the, at the time it was the DSM-4 criteria. And I looked it over and I could see how clearly this is the condition that I have. And so then I went and I saw neuropsychologists and psychiatrists. So I saw some mental health, health people. I also read the literature because at the time I was an academic in a doctoral program in mind science. So I was equipped to, to you know, look at the literature. And I just came away from that experience these guys don't have a clue about how autism works. They're, they're, they're going in the wrong direction. None of this is focused on the biology. Uh, so what came out of that for me was like, here's this disorder. Okay, I know what I have. I have what's called autism. To me, the whole approach seemed jumbled. I didn't think they had a clear uh, diagnosis of it. And they weren't offering anything that could help me. You know, that this, the psychiatrists and neuropsychologists weren't even sure uh, I had autism. I think that was really more their inability to, to well, it's kind of a combination of the, the criteria for diagnosing it are, are so vague and, and, and ungrounded, plus uh, the particular therapists maybe weren't, uh, hadn't had a lot of experience with autism. But as a result, I just came away thinking, you know what, I've got autism. I don't think the field's got a good handle on it. I don't like the way they're approaching it. And I know this sounds ridiculous and, and arrogant. That's not how I felt at all. I felt like I need help. I need to figure out what's going on with me. None of this is helping. I don't see anything here that's going to help improve my life. I'm going to go figure out what this is. And so I then decided, you know, if you want to understand the, how the mind works, you need to understand the mathematics behind all of the mind. You need to find the mathematics that characterizes all of the entire brain, uh, including consciousness. And so then I just spent the next uh, roughly 25 years studying that and, and doing that. And, and, and finally, just, you know, in the, in the past year, I finally came up for air. I think I've got a decent handle on, on how my autism works. And as you mentioned in the opening of the show, I, I started, now's the first time I've really looked at anything in the autistic community at all since, since the nineties. And so it, it's, it's fascinating for me, like to just to see, you know, it's sort of like I saw it 25 years ago and now I'm seeing it again. And, and honestly, that just the progress is so little. Like it's, it's almost exactly the same. So, yeah, that's that's in a nutshell, my uh, autism uh, story. <laughs> well, so there there is a lot there. Um, but I think we'll I think we'll break it down with like a few of the questions that we have and it'll yes. lead in. So how did your diagnosis help you? in any way, what, what did you? It helped me realize, okay, so at least there's some understanding of a constellation of neural deficits that matches what I have. It's called autism. I looked at the literature. There was a lot of variety in what they were calling autism. Like the, and I, the key thing is nobody knows what's going on in the brain. Like it's just, we're talking about a ghost. Uh, we're talking about this, the, the, this foggy thing. And we talk about symptoms. None of this is based on, oh, here, it's this part of the brain talking to this part of the brain, talking to this part of the brain doing this. So there wasn't anything focused on that kind of thing. It was like, well, I saw my friend doing theory of mind experiments, you know, I was asking kids, 
does the doll know, you know, where the chocolate is in this box? And now we, we move the chocolate from this box to that box. And like autism was being studied that way. And, and it just, uh, it, it didn't really connect with uh, what autism actually is. Autism is a brain disorder. It's specific neurodynamics that are different than the neurodynamics in non-autistic people. But what those dynamics are, nobody was pointing to. So my diagnosis, what it did for me was open me up to, hey, here is a great unsolved problem, you know, in neuroscience and mind science. And it's me. I mean, this is this is what I'm going to be living the rest of my life with this this condition, these problems. So I, I'm going to go figure it out on my own, you know, I, for, for myself. I, you know, I, I want to figure out what's happening in my brain. And so that the, the diagnosis motivated me, you know, in that direction. So I'd like to uh, ask you something that's unrelated to to autism, but uh, we saw that you were on some game shows. How did you do on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And how was that? So let me say that I I can't hold down a job. I I can't handle uh, bosses. Uh, Actually, Andrew, I wanted to ask you, you, I I saw that you seem to have an office in Connecticut. Is is that right? Do you actually go to an office? And and you have coworkers. Are are you their manager? I, I mean, are you partners or do they work for you did 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 uh did not work well with partners worked better when i had employees and the more remote employees i had the better so i was going to ask i i can't work in an office environment i I just it it always ends up with some kind of disaster and so i was feeling some admiration i said wow gosh he's got an office he's got coworkers. how how do you handle that so it sounds like uh being in an office with people there every day is 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 difficult for you for you as well Yes, correct. But a one or two people is okay. So yes, yes, it's, it's same for me. The more people, the more difficult uh, time I have. So to answer your question about being a millionaire, um, so in my thirties, I realized, oh my God, I need to find a way to get money because uh, I can't hold down a job. Uh, and I was best at academics, but I hate academia. I, I being in, in academia for me is like being in an office. You know, it's all these implicit rules of, of behavior, and I, I'm I'm just no good at managing the politics of it at all. So it was like in my 30s, I realized, oh my God, to function in life, I've got to find a way to get a lot of money and just live off the money. So then I looked around, okay, what with my autistic skills, <laughs> what can I do to really quickly get a lot of money? And I saw game shows, and I thought, you know what? I'm studying models of memory. That's what I was doing in graduate school at the time was designing mathematical models of memory. My own memory is terrible. So part of my own autism is that uh, I, I can't remember events with people. My episodic memory of, of you know times with friends, times with family when I was younger, uh, they fade very, very easily. I, my memories are mostly of things and things I read, ideas. I have a memory for ideas more than a memory for people. And because I have this bad memory, um, in grad school, I was studying memory. And so I was spending a lot of time thinking about memory. And I had a lot of techniques I had developed to get around my bad memory. And I thought, okay, I can use these memory techniques I've been developing to win on a game show. And so I thought Millionaire was the best bet there. I was able to get hold of all of their questions from all the previous shows. People online had been posting them. And so I just did some data analysis, the frequency of different topics. So I came up with a system to go after the questions, memorize. I spent three months basically memorizing everything that could possibly be on the show. That's my dark gift. (laughs) And figured it out, cracked it, got in the show, got all the way to the million dollar question. And I 
I knew I was going to get to the million dollar question. I, I was taped on a Friday, but before they got to the million dollars, they had to stop. So I was going to come back on Monday. So I had the whole weekend where I knew I was going to be, have a shot at the million dollar question. And I had known from my analyses earlier that they tended to have questions about history, especially American history for the million dollar question. So I, I studied American history and the question was about American history. It was about Boston where I lived or where, where I lived. And it was about the Boston Tea Party. And I had actually looked at a picture of the Boston Tea Party while I was studying. And so there, the million dollar question was, you know, which of these ships was not at the Boston Tea Party? And I had seen the picture that was there working my mind, trying to pull it up. And I did, I figured out the goddamn answer. Um, and I was there in a the moment, I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna win a million dollars. I'm gonna have all the money I need. And, you know, it's gonna be great, you know, I'm, gonna have some fame too, you know, from, from, from doing this. But then I thought, oh man, what if I'm wrong? You know what, I, I think it's this. And I, I talked myself out of it. You know, if you, there's a video online, you watch it, you can see, I say, I think the answer is D, you know, and then I look around and then I say, what, uh, and I got nervous and I pulled back because if you get it wrong, you lose all your money. But, yeah. So I walked away and got to keep the, the half million dollars and I've been living off dollars ever since. I, 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 I put all the money. I bought a condo in Boston in 2007, right at the uh, recession when all the housing prices collapsed and that condo more almost doubled in value since then. So I sold that. Now I live in the house. So I managed to take that one thing and just, I've, I've had a life, you know, I've, uh, out of it. Thank, thank gosh. It's a, it's one way, if you're on history, you get around not being able to have a job. <laughs> just That's how you do it. Some money. Yeah. Yeah. Cheap. <laughs> Damn, seriously, best story I've ever heard on this show. <laughs> so there's been a lot of talk and what I feel like is one of your areas and interests and that's language models, right? Like I can't, you can't go on the internet without reading about chat GPT or it, it seems like you've been waiting your entire like life to be like, ah, yes, th this is, this is my area. Um, so has that kept you busy lately? What are your thoughts? Um, because it seems right up with what you work on. So I, let me say something about language because understanding how language works is essential for understanding how autism works and, and what's wrong with our brains. And so this was sort of like one of the key ideas that you want to understand what's going on with autism neurally, you know, in our brain. Uh, language is very key. And the reason is the non-autistic, I, I don't like to use the word healthy. Uh, I think I have a healthy brain, even though it's an autistic brain. And uh, I also don't like normal. I don't like the term neurotypical. I hope we'll have a chance <laughs> to talk about, about that later. But in a non-autistic brain, the way the human brains evolve, it's designed to function uh, in a community. Uh, the human brain is designed to be a network router that's designed to plug into a network. It's not designed to work on its own. And language is the mind-to-mind -mind dynamic. So language evolved as a way to connect different brains together into a supermind. So just in the exact same way, the neurons in our brain all work together to form our own mind, our individual mind. All the human brains link together to form a supermind and it's designed to work as a supermind. Individual people don't necessarily 
feel that way and they're not necessarily aware of it being autistic it's a lot easier to see uh, uh you know and this is what i've been studying but language is designed as a way for uh mental activity to function in a community level and it's broken in us and so we're not part of the supermind I mean, we all see the supermind the supermind impacts us but uh, uh we're, we're not interacting with the supermind we're not plugged into the supermind the way the rest of the the rest of the brains are um and if i can say too I, I this is my number one i i think the single biggest problem in the autism community or the single biggest opportunity for autistic people to to grow and develop and improve is we're too caught up in comparing ourselves to the, the non-autistic people like a term like neurotypical is really like an anchor of this like the framing, I, I, I hate uh, the, the, the dichotomy of neurodivergent versus neurotypical. I, I think it's totally unscientific. I, I think it's pseudoscience and it's immoral uh, as well. Maybe I'll get a chance to talk about uh, those things. But I think we have our own minds are different. It's true. But to call ourselves atypical, are schizophrenics, you know, atypical? Are depressed people atypical? Are they neurodivergent? You know, as a schizophrenic neurodivergent like us, you know, what would we call them? How about somebody with anxiety disorder? I, there's a lot of mental disorders. Are every one of those, you know, neurodivergent? Um, let me just say something about neurotypical. It's just I, I feel so strongly about why that term is a terrible term. There is no typical brain, so it's taking you know a, a scientific concept our brain, the neural architecture of our brain, using the word neural suggests that there's some scientific basis for this notion of neurotypical. Every single brain is different, wildly different, different in ways that most people aren't aware of. Every neuron is different. Every, the interior of every neuron is different. We each have different networks of neurons that are different from other people. If you take a person you call neurotypical, they're just as neurodivergent as autistic people are. They're, if you look at their brains, if you compare it to a true average, you know, a true average of all the brains, every individual is wildly different from that average. There is no such thing as a normal brain. There's no normal template for the brain. If you take the average brain, there's actually been studies that have done this. If you say, put 20 people in a brain scanner, an MRI scanner, look at all their brains, calculate the average, then compare each individual brain to the average, none of them look anything like the average brain. So we're using these terms, neurotypical and neurodivergent, that don't correspond to anything scientifically. Um, and so why are we using these terms? We're taking this term typical, which is kind of an offensive term. I don't want to, who wants to be called typical? I've got different ideas about autism than, than most people in the community. Does that mean I'm autistic divergent and the rest of you are autistic typical? Like you're just taking this word typical you know, and throwing it at people who aren't actually typical, there's divergent, they're just not autistic, and, and saying that they're average and normal, but we're not, uh, yeah, it's, 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 there's no scientific basis. And so we've invented a term to, I understand it's trying to help people understand, hey, we think differently, but I think it's, so do schizophrenics, you know, they think differently. Are we, are we inviting them to the neurodivergent? Divergent party, uh, so are depressed people. Are they neurodivergent too? I, I, I just think it, it, it's 
slippery slope, a dangerous slope using these terms. Plus, there's also the euphemism treadmill. Every time you try to take a, a term and use it for a good thing, like neurodivergent, an attempt to use a positive term you know, to express people with, with autism. I understand. I have nothing but respect, affection, and admiration for people that use these terms. I understand they're trying to help. It's coming from a place of love. I see that. I understand that. It's just you're making people with autism view everybody else as an other, you know, a, a, as an opponent, as an enemy. You're calling them typical, and they're saying they're different than us and setting up this dichotomy and an oppositional state. It, it, it doesn't do anybody any good. There's never been a time in human history when carving people up into them and us ends up with something better. You know, it, it always ends up with conflict. So the fact that it's we're getting so entrenched in these terms, uh, neurodivergent, neurotypical, uh, really, uh, I have to say, bugs me immensely. <laughs> you know, I can see, I mean, like you make, in the way you're talking about it, it's like, how can we not agree with you, right? And in my head, I would make a distinction between, and you know, it's, you're going to say it goes against what you're saying, but like, I take someone like Charlie, and I'm like, I mean, his brain clearly like is functioning in a way that's different than vast majority of people you know and uh like i see that and of course it's still part of everybody's brand is different but like his brand is different in a way that makes it that he can't function at all in the in this world right so in my head and again it's like it's not science based just like you're saying but like level one autistic people like most likely the four of us we we fit that criteria would uh be part of you know a variation of the neurotypical brain right but then if you take the most severely autistic people it's just there is something different i don't like the, the word i'm with you like it's not the right word like to say some brain is typical and not typical but there's a distinction in the way those brands function, you know, like a, a big one. It's not just a little variation of, oh, well, some people think like this and some like that, you know? First, let me say, I, I want to comment on your book and for anybody that hasn't read Eileen Lamb's wonderful book, All Across the Spectrum, uh, where she talks about Charlie I, in very moving terms. It, it, it's a beautiful prose. I was very touched by it. It's got lovely, lovely photos. There's a photo of Charlie. I, 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 Talked to Eileen about this early in the book. Uh, Eileen is, uh, Charlie is very severely autistic, as Eileen just said, and there's a beautiful, lovely photo of him, mostly in shadow. All you can see is half of his eye, beautiful blue eye, just half of it. Uh, wonderfully expressive that, you know, what it's like to be autism. And I, it made me feel what it must be like for you as a mother to not be able to connect with his identity and, and, and his self and his soul the way I, I, I'm sure you want to. Uh, I just, I would encourage anybody. Uh, to read this book. It's wonderful. It certainly moved me. Yes, so it's not, Charlie has certainly got extreme neural conditions, but so it's in no way, what I'm saying is no way negating that. Yes, he's clearly got problems. I have problems. The two of you have problems too. It's just, there's a great variety of neural problems. You know, like we're not the only people out there that have different, you know, brains. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm lifting, there's, there's people with uh, bipolar disorder, there's borderline personality disorder. You know, there's there's just plain brain damage. You get clubbed in the back of the head, you're gonna be neuro, neurodivergent, you know? So it's, 
Yeah. There's all kinds of ways. There's brain tumors, you know, the strokes. There's all kinds of ways that brain damage can happen and brains can affect differently. And so for autists to claim the title of neurodivergent at all forms of, you know, if you're not typical, you're autistic. If you're not autistic, you're typical. It's it's right. such a self. <laughs> I see what you're saying. You know, I've seen people with like a bipolar and ADHD and all sort of like disorders say they are neurodivergent or not just autistic people. I feel like the term is just being used all over now, uh, actually. Which is what happens when it's not tied to something biological or, or physical. I, this is the problem. It, it's Today. because people can't point to with COVID, what causes COVID? It's a pathogen. It's the COVID virus. We have pictures of it. It's got you know little prongs stinging out, out everywhere. The, the scientists can track every little tiny damn variation of it. It's, there's the Delta 3.42 epsilon <laughs> variation. That's how tightly we know exactly what's causing COVID. What is causing autism? Who knows? And yet there's all this verbiage, you know, all these arguments arising from this ghost diagnosis. Like if you would say, well, yes, it's when there's a deficit of serotonin and, you know, the, the frontal, uh, you know, the, the lateral frontal lobe and combined with, you know, an, an abundance of, you know, uh, potassium receptors in, in the neurons. Like if that was the answer, then we could talk about these things. But the fact that we're using these terms, neurodivergent, neurotypical, what is the neural basis of autism? How can you even throw out the word neural if you don't even know, you know, what is actually the neural cause, cause of it? So, uh, and again, I understand why people want to talk about this. You want to have a community. You want to combine a community. You want positive, uplifting terms for the community. Calling us neurodivergent, it's positive. I understand the motivation. It, it, it's just, this has been tried many times in other with other disorders, other disabilities, other problems, and it just never works out well. No, you make some great points. Um, so I wanted to ask you, uh, my younger son, Jude, was actually was not diagnosed when I wrote the book, but he was diagnosed three years ago now and uh, is uh, super good at math. Like he can, he's very bright and, you know, can do some very complex math problem in his head. And I know oh, that's you're awesome. really good at that stuff too. Like, do you have a, any tips for him or for us as parents to like keep like fostering his love from us and how to, you know, it's hard because he does it for fun, but you know, like he's frustrated at school because it's not hard enough. So he's getting bored. And I don't know, do you have any tips uh, related to that? I'm a big believer in following your joy. And, and you know, if, if he's getting pleasure from it, you just keep feeding it. I, you know, I, I, I think especially if he is autistic and so I, he must have some deficits too you know it, it let me just say something about myself so i embraced my autism you know it, it once i understood that i have this thing in, in, the, in the 90s and really you know contemplated i embraced it full-on no limits and i completely threw myself into my autism so i and in particular what i thought was you know I'm not going to define myself against non-autistic people, against what you guys, what, other, what, what many people call the neurotypical people. I'm not going to set up this dichotomy. I'm just going to figure myself out on my own terms. I'm going to develop myself. I'm going to learn and grow and improve myself on my own terms as an autistic man. And by doing that, I, I've ended up in a, with a life of joy. I love my life. I wake up joyful. I'm delighted that I'm talking to the two of you. That's exactly where 
I want to be. I have a wife and a five-year-old son. I love them. And my days are filled with happiness and joy. As a consequence of taking this attitude all my life, the first 10 years were really tough, you know, like trying to do this on my own and embracing autism and doing it my own way. It wasn't easy. I don't want to imply that this was easy, but I ended up in a place that's wonderful. Where I am now is wonderful. And I always follow the joy, the things that made me happy and that my autistic brain liked, my special interests. I just went all into my special interests my whole life and, and it worked out. You know, it may not work out for everyone, but even if it doesn't work out, like I'm doing the things I love and I am who I am without, you know, excuses or, or embarrassment. Or, you know. uh, so if your son enjoys math, just feed him the math, you know, find, find the kinds of math problems that he thinks are most interesting and just let him play just make sure it's play you know don't 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 get it too structured don't make it like here's a goal we're working towards unless he likes it some people like that but it's really more finding out what about it it gives him the pleasure and and just keep finding ways to give him you know more pleasure my son just started uh we showed him a sudoku puzzle and turned out he loved the sudoku puzzle you know so now my my five-year-old son is doing sudoku puzzles all the time and we just keep getting him more Sudoku puzzles. And, you know, my wife, my wife was considering, hey, let's try to get him to get better and get him, teach him, you know, better ways of doing it. And like my attitude is he's having so much fun. Just let him figure it out on his, on his own terms. He'll do better figuring it out on his own, you know, as, as long as he's having fun. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what we've been doing. It's like almost getting hard for me because he's, you know, he's so good. He's like going to get uh, smarter than me at mass very soon. So I'm going to have to use my calculator to help him out there. Autistic brain, if I can say, it's like, if you know something, I mean, you're interested in something, you're going to learn everything about it. Yeah. I mean, it's a great skill to when have. You, when you unleash the autistic brain, see, I, I believe we autistic people are able to access brain states and perspectives that non-autistic people can access. I think even though we have what our deficits when it comes to social interactions, we have a lot of latent opportunities that maybe aren't being fully taken advantage of because we're defining ourselves in relation to non-autistic people. But I, I just, you know, I, 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 took off my limitations and I just embraced my autistic brain and I, I learned so much, you know, I, I'm just constantly learning massive amounts and I move on to the next thing and learn that. And I try to put it all, all together. And I just, I think, uh, I think there's an opportunity for autistic people. Like if you just be true to yourself, look for answers within yourself, embrace yourself. I'm going to ask you the quick fire questions. I know you know what it is since you've been listening to the show. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite game show? I'm actually not a big fan of game shows. I don't watch them. Uh, you know, I was on them, but that the, the only shows I've watched are the ones I was on. So I liked. I, I was on a show called Grand Slam. I thought that was awesome. It was a tournament of of the best game show winners in really intense format, face to face and rapid questions. I, I that was a lot of fun to to play. I don't know how much fun it is to watch. But. You're not even gonna say the show that made you almost a uh, half millionaire. <laughs> oh, who wants to be a millionaire? Not my kind of show. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's your episode? Uh, your favorite episode of our podcast? If you have one. That's a good question. Um, 
you can say this one. <laughs> well, I haven't watched it yet, so I don't know how it's gonna I don't know what's gonna be. I've got a lot. I was just I was just listening to your most recent ones. You get there's so many I wouldn't even want to. This isn't even a cop out. I like the diversity. I like the different people. I like that you had on uh, the woman who was on uh, on the love dating show. Uh, it was just you, I think, Eileen. I, that that was a good one. <laughs> the that? NFL, pl- yeah. The, oh, the so NFL. you highlight the one without me is your yeah, favorite? Well, okay. I'm sorry. I, I, as soon as I was the coming one. out of my mouth, I was like, oh darn it. <laughs> that was <laughs> great. I love and- you too, Andrew. Don't worry. I like I, I I like the two of you and and, and your banter and back and forth, the, 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 the different perspectives. The NFL guy, you had the NFL. Gentleman on. Yeah. I liked him because he was vulnerable. Like, you know, I, I, I like that some of the your guests, they're happy. They've worked it out. They figured out a happy life for themselves and they're sharing. I like that some of them haven't and, and, and they're still struggling. I like I like hearing all of this. I, I think the strength is in the diversity of experience, the diversity of people, backgrounds, ages, you know, all of that. I'm glad that you guys covered such a such a wide range. We agree. Who is your favorite? What's uh, your favorite movie? I have so many. I, I I made films for a while. I love films, uh, so they're always changing. I, two that I loved recently: uh, The Green Knight, and I, I like that one a lot. Uh, Pig, which stars uh, Nicolas Cage. I, I'm not a Nicolas Cage mostly makes movies these days that I don't like. And I, I wouldn't watch, but Pig was an exception. Uh, you know, I like I like science fiction movies. I like uh, uh, The Edge of Tomorrow, with probably the only Tom Cruise movie I like. Uh, I loved. Uh, uh, Fury Road, the Mad Max movie. I don't think that was terrific. <laughs> yeah, I like the variety. How about you, Eileen? What's your What's your favorite movie? She doesn't watch movies. My favorite movie is actually E.T. Is that right? I yeah, I love E.T. I don't know. There's something about E.T. that is just I I love it. I don't know if it's because it reminds me of my childhood, but yeah, I have a soft spot for E.T. I like Lyra. I like uh, which one? Liar, liar. With Jim Carrey. With Jim Carrey. I actually like a French movie I saw when I was in La Rochelle was uh, The City of the Lost Children, The City Days on Funk Produce. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't pronounce it. I feel like I've seen yeah. that a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's an old, it's an old one. I just, I, I remember watching that. How about you, Andrew? What's your, what's your favorite movie? Uh, probably The Twenty Fifth Hour, with Edward Norton. You're like, I, yep. So. Last question. I think you know what that is. Is glow in the dark a color? It is a color. Yes. It's a visual uh-huh. property. So it comes into the eye. It's a wavelength of light that our eye processes like any other wavelength of light. There's no, like our eye is not doing something different when it's I'm winning processing from glow, from glow in the dark to, to looking at red. It's just, a, it's, it's, it's coming into the eye as electromagnetic radiation. So our eye treats it the, the same it's the source of it is different you know it's it's fluorescence or is it phosphorescence or fluorescence i think it's phosphorescence you know it's the atoms emitting the the uh, the, the photons spontaneously but it's still electromagnetic radiation <laughs> well if this is the scientific answer i think uh, we can close uh, <laughs> the debate right here and <laughs> well thank you so much for coming on our podcast i'm sorry eileen i wanted to be <laughs> i wanted nope. to validate <laughs> but I, I think i think andrew wins wins this one <laughs> that's fine thank I'll, you I'll handle it <laughs> and uh, if you have any uh, last word for our listeners uh, now is the time 
just want to repeat, I love what you guys are doing. I hope you keep on doing it for as long as you can. I, I just, I found it super helpful, informative, illuminating, useful. And, and I, I, you know, I imagine other people do too that may not be expressing that to you. I don't know, but uh, certainly for me, I, I love what you guys are doing. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you.